The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the second episode in two days of the Keeper Cup podcast. We're, we're churning them out around the trade deadline here, trying to get you guys some, some instant reaction. Obviously, a lot of content out there about these trades, but we're trying to focus on, on keeper value and helping you guys get ready for trade deadlines and stuff coming up in your leagues as you're planning for this year and the future in keeper leagues and auto new leagues. And we talked yesterday, Pete, about like four or five trades, and I think we've got five more to talk about already is that right that sounds about right not none of them too significant other than the gallo one but you know we'll we'll knock them out there there's some interesting stuff here there are some pieces moving around there aren't any like i said nothing huge other than gallo but there are some interesting guys and some opportunities they're going to open up that, that will have fantasy implications so some interesting stuff to talk about we are also just so everyone's aware it is currently thursday at 2 p.m eastern time we are watching Twitter. We are paying attention. If anything else breaks, we'll cover that too while we're here. We'll see what comes up in the next next few hours. But let's dive right in today. The first trade we want to talk about is the big one. The New York Yankees acquiring Joey Gallo and Joely Rodriguez. One of those names is more important than the other in terms of this <laughs> trade, especially from a fantasy perspective. They gave up four prospects, Ezekiel Duran, Josh Smith, Trevor Hauver, and Glenn Otto. This trade, when it first broke yesterday, there were like six prospects going, and then it was four, and then the four changed. It's been back and forth. So it is entirely possible that I got a name wrong here, that I missed someone, that something has changed. But I believe Duran, Smith, Hauver, and Otto are the four names. But that's not the most interesting part here. The most interesting part here is Joey Gallo going to play in a high school stadium. Uh, <laughs> Thank you for saying that. Thank you for saying <laughs> well, that. Well, I can let you say it, right? We can't have the Red Sox man on here talking about how Yankee right. Stadium. Yeah, that, I don't want to That do short that. porch in right field. You know, somebody made a comment to me earlier, a conversation I was in where someone made a comment that, you know, it's not like Gallo hits a lot of wall scrapers. Like he crushes the ball. How much is the short porch going to help? He also hits a lot of pop-ups. He hits a lot of like medium deep fly balls that are easy outs in Texas and are not going to be easy outs. <laughs> They're going to turn into wall scrapers. So it's going to be real interesting to see what happens there. What are your thoughts on on Gallo, particularly long-term with this new home? Sure. So a, a real quick, just from a baseball perspective, because I, I can't help myself. 
this I, I think this is huge, and I don't I don't think the Yankees are dead. I, I really don't. I think uh, adding a starting pitcher is more important, but I think Joey Gallo is going to provide a spark, and and I think they're they're still very much in it. They got a lot of pitchers coming back from injury. We'll move on from that. Long term for Gallo, <laughs> I don't know if he's going to be with the Yankees long term because they have. They have some guys they're going to have to sign pretty soon to some contracts. And, and Joey Gallo is a tremendous fielder, but with DH plugged up, it does make it hard to commit long-term to players of this ilk, I guess. But for next year, at least for your keeper leagues, there's no question his cost should have gone up. I mean, he should be a sought-after asset. You know, we, we brought up the stat before. I believe it's 17 of his like 24 homers this season have gone to right field. Uh, and obviously that's where Yankee Stadium is a high school stadium, high school field, whatever you want to call it. So in, in the short term, it's huge. I, I hesitate to say anything about the long term until he fully commits to the Yankees long term. And I don't even know if the Yankees want that. Yeah, we'll have to see what happens beyond next year. But I do think for, for keeper leagues, for our new leagues, the, that the big thing is this year and next year, Joey Gallo is going to just try to lift the ball casually to right field as much as he can because every time he does, it's going to carry out. Looking now on Baseball Savant, he has 25 home runs this year. If he were at Yankee Stadium, he would have 29. From that perspective, it is the park that fits him best. That isn't a surprise, (laughs) given that he is a left-handed power hitter. We talked about this as a possibility a couple weeks ago on the podcast, because it really is the ideal landing spot for his fantasy value. It's going to juice his... RBI numbers because he's going to have a better lineup around him. I'm very interested to see what they do from a lineup perspective because his on-base percentage makes him, to me, the ideal guy to be hitting in the two spot in that lineup. Like I, I would put him in that lineup in front of Judge and Stanton and all those guys because he's the one of them most likely to be getting on base. Maybe Stanton. I guess you'd argue Stanton's there too, right? But like Judge, would, judge as well. I mean, yeah, I hear what you're saying. That's fair. They, they all are. They all are pretty yeah, good. But, but I think he's the best. <laughs> it's funny because this comes back to what we said before, where there were some Yankee fans who were like, oh, and, and to be fair to Yankee fans, there were plenty of fans of other teams making fun of them at the idea of this trade being like, oh, you're just going to get another Stanton and judge. I wish the Red Sox would get a Stanton or a judge. That would be awesome. Right. There are 29 teams in Major League Baseball who wish they had one Stanton or judge. And the Yankees yes. now have Stanton, judge and Gallo. It's a pretty great place to be. And yeah, I mean, I, I think this is just this is just good for Gallo's value. It just is. And, and his, his keeper value should go up. His trade value should go up if you're looking at trading him. If you've got him, you should be very, very happy with this outcome. There's nothing not to like. So let's say... <laughs> Other than the Yankees. <laughs> let's say hypothetically he and because he's such a streaky player i say this all the time we talk about joey gallo let's say he ends on one of his hot streaks and he's going to finish the year probably batting you know at best 240 but with 40 plus homers you know a, a million rbi in the second half where do you see him going in drafts next year if that situation takes place wow that's a good question full season of joey prime joey gallo at yankee stadium Yes, this is a tough one for me, right? Because I'm usually thinking in in auto new terms. And in auto new terms, ah, man, I mean, he's a $40 outfielder now, maybe more. I mean, I just, there there are very few outfielders I would rather have than Joey Gallo at Yankee Stadium from an auto new perspective. From a more traditional five by five, 
where his batting average is just it's going to hurt even Yankee Stadium. Let's see. Looking at NFBC, he was going around 145, 148.01 was his average draft position this year leading up up until April 1st. Looking at guys above him, I mean, right around 140 was Jorge Soler. He moves up above him for sure. You know, you had Will Myers going around 127. Myers adds some speed. You had Dominic Smith going at 121, 123, something like that. I mean, I think this moves him into the top 100. Sure. I think that the, the challenge is with his average, I'm not sure how much more than that you move him up. But yeah, I mean, I, I would say in your sort of, you know, 12-team league, he's a somewhere between the sixth and eighth round. Yeah, that that sounds about right to me. I think the the Yankee price might bump him up a little bit in some drafts, but in the end, it's probably going to average somewhere around six or seven. Yeah, and if you're in an on-base league, like I said, an auto-new league or an on-base percentage league, man, this guy is just super valuable in that lineup and in that park. Yeah. So let's look at the, the the other side of this for New York. Is anyone blocked? Has this changed anyone's long-term value for you? Within the Yankees, no, not really. I mean, both Volpe and Dominguez are so far away that by the time they reach the majors, Joey Gallo probably will be in another jersey anyway. I think this is kind of like a, a stopgap move, which is nice because even if he's not enough to get them to the playoffs this year, which I still think they will at the end of the day. But even if he doesn't, they'll have him for a full season next year like we were just talking about. But I don't, I don't think after that, if, if Volpe or even Dominguez at the age of like 14 looks ready, then why would they extend Gallo? I just, I mean, you know, I think Clint Frazier is hurt, but when he comes back, all of a sudden you wonder if there's any room for him. That's a good point. Brett Gardner probably gets less (laughs) playing time, but like if you, if you have Brett Gardner, man, God bless. Good (laughs) good luck. You're in a 40 team league. (laughs) Fair enough. But yeah, I I think that's right. I think, I think Frazier is probably the one guy that I look at and think, "Eh," or maybe Andrahar. The, the, if they don't get moved in some other deal, they're the kind of guys that's like, well, they're probably going to get less playing time, but their value is pretty pretty down already. Yeah. And I suspect that one or both of them will be gone by next year, if not this year. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out. What about in Texas? What does this open up in Texas? Well, the one name that, that you know you put it in the notes, and you and I were both fans of this guy earlier in the year, and he was just flat out, terrible. Leody Tavares, I, I'd, I'd like to see him potentially get a shot here late in the season to be one of those guys who going into drafts next year, nobody remembers because half of fantasy baseball players stopped checking their team because they were out of it. Uh, and you kind of get him at a discount, but that would require him to actually perform. And it was a challenge to say the least. It looks like right now on roster resource, their outfield is still Adelise Garcia and Eli White, your boy, and Jason Martin fitting in there in a platoon with it looks like what would be Charlie Culberson. So, I mean, I don't see why you don't just give Leody Tavares a shot. Willie Calhoun, I don't know what the timeline is on him. I don't think he would have been blocked either, even if Gallo stayed, because when he was healthy, he was playing. But I bring him up as just a name to keep in mind because... He had forearm surgery, but Willie Calhoun is a player. And I think when he when he finally gets his health situated, and hopefully he does, he's a name worth watching. But I guess that's kind of unrelated to this. I'd like to see Leody Tavares. Yeah, and I think, I mean, the other name to mention is Nick Solak, who was sent down to AAA about a week ago. 
in that week. He's hit really well. He hasn't struck out a single time in 17 plate appearances. It's also a lot of just BABIP, it looks like, a 547 BABIP, and it's 17 plate appearances. But you figure Solak will be back at some point, and maybe this helps with that. Tavares, my, my biggest concern with him is he's not hitting that well in AAA right now. He's not hitting yeah, he's poorly not. necessarily, but he's got an 88 WRC plus in AAA, a 332 WOBA. That's that's not going to cut it. And so he's not really banging down the door and demanding playing time. Now, at some point, they have to just give him a shot and see what he can do. They've still got options on him, but they're, they're going to have to... They've already burned one this year, so it seems likely you give him a shot and just let him get some playing time this year. If that happens, he's interesting in five by five leagues because he can run. But man, his offense hasn't it hasn't been good in the minors, and so I, I'm not that excited about him in the majors. He's he is more of a watch and see than an actual pick him up. If he gets promoted and he gets full time plate appearances, and you desperately need stolen bases. I could see grabbing him as an end of the roster kind of guy to just pad some stolen base stats. But other than that, I don't know. I'm pretty down. Yeah, it's tough to be high on him. You know, and I don't want to come across that way. I think if in in five by five, if I needed stolen bases in a five outfield league, I I think I would pick him up if I saw he got called up. It's been a horrible July. Uh, that has really tanked his numbers. He hit 190 in the month through 84 Oof. at bats, but he's he's oddly like hitting for power in the minors this year a little bit. And in June, you know, he hit 299. His OPS was almost up around a thousand. He, he had five homers in the month. So hoping it's just a it's just a bad July. He begin to get that career back on track because he's still a player, young enough, enough tools that I, you know, I'm interested because I play a lot of five by five. Yeah, it makes sense from a. F- Prospect perspective, the name that jumps out at me is sort of interesting from an out of new perspective is possibly Ezekiel Duran. My biggest concern with him from a fantasy perspective is the 2023 ETA. He's just a little far off from me. Yeah, um, come on, Chad. I know you. <laughs> 2023. <laughs> no way do you have any interest in him. <laughs> no, but he's but he's an interesting guy. He's he is a power. He is a small but apparently power first second baseman. Sure. But he's got a 374 on base percentage this year. In high A, you'd like to see him get challenged in double A and, and, and beyond, but he could move a little quicker in Texas because there's just nobody blocking him. Now, he also could move slower because they're not in any hurry to get their guys up, but I'm, I'm intrigued to sort of watch him. I'm not I'm not planning on grabbing him in any in any of my leagues yet. The other prospect who maybe is interesting, the guy who's most likely to be around at some point this year is Glenn Otto. Glenn Otto had already reached triple a he, he threw made 10 starts 11 appearances in double a this year with a 40.7 percent strikeout rate 5.5 percent walk rate uh that that added up to a 2.32 fip in two triple a starts he's got a 2.22 fip not as many strikeouts but that's to be expected he could be up at some point and, and so he's sort of interesting maybe he's he's a riser though and and i think he's the kind of guy who i'd rather again just watch if he gets called up and has a good start though i would grab him but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna move on him yet yeah this felt like the the type of hall where the rangers are just looking to improve their overall farm system and and start to churn out more talent as opposed to moving gala for elite pieces i know i know that's like obvious but 
I, I also don't want folks, you know, if you are in a super deep league and you do have interest in Ezekiel Duran, don't be, don't be distracted by the 12 stolen bases this year. That's just 40 grade speed. And he's been caught stealing seven times. He strikes me as the type of like, you know, like Yon Moncada. I don't know if you remember, he had like a, like a, I don't know, 50 stolen base season or something ridiculous in terms of stolen bases in the minor leagues. And he doesn't steal bases in the majors. I would imagine it's going to be the same thing. It's just let's run wild on these catchers and single A. Yeah, I mean, that definitely happens. It's, I don't know, I'm, I'm trying to pull up Moncada's page now to see what exactly he did. Let's see, Moncada, yeah, his first minor league season in A ball in 2015, he stole 49 bases. He then stole 30, he stole, actually stole 45 across three levels the next year, including zero in major leagues. Then right. in 2017, he stole 20 across two levels in 2018 he stole 12 in 2019 it was down to 10 and he has stolen two total since then <laughs> so and and mind yeah. you Moncada had 70 grade speed he bulked yeah. up a lot I, I don't even know why i brought up Moncada. those numbers were super interesting though i just i don't think duran is supposed to be this massive speed threat so if you're like oh i got the stolen bases of the future that's not it yeah i i agree so jumping on to the next trade Fun interdivision trade. Always interesting when those happen. Probably signals Cleveland saying they are done trying to chase down the White Sox. They have shipped Cesar Hernandez from Cleveland to Chicago. Fills in for the injured Nick Madrigal in Chicago. Cleveland gets Connor Pilkington back. We we can talk about Pilkington in a moment, but probably not very much. But let's start (laughs) with Cesar Hernandez. Does this impact Cesar for you at all? I mean, it's a better lineup. If if he's able to find his way to the top, which I don't think he will, then it would be more interesting to me. But I mean, Luis Robert last night just went two for four with a double. He's on his way back. There's a lot of pieces. I, even as it stands right now, I don't see him batting towards the top of that lineup. So no, it's a better lineup, but it's like you said in the notes, it's a better lineup, but he's further down. So I, I don't, not really, no. Yeah, there, there's there's maybe maybe some interest if he actually hits ninth instead of like seventh because i could see a world we're hitting ninth and being the second leadoff guy the top of the lineup within a week or two is gonna be tim anderson luis robert eloy jimenez and then you got a bunch of other guys who are you know vaughn and all them who are more interesting than cesar hernandez his real hope was like right now adam angle is often hitting in the second spot and i could see cesar taking that spot from him I just don't mm-hmm. think that stays. Now, maybe he, the big hope for him is that he's got an old school manager in Larusa who's like, I want a guy in the second spot who can handle the bat and I don't need to put you know my big sluggers there and blah, blah, blah. And if that holds, then maybe he moves up. And in that case, it's a bigger boost. I think from a keeper perspective, he's on a team option for next year and it's a pretty cheap team option, but I don't think the White Sox keep him. They still have Magical, unless Magical gets traded. They still see Magical as their second baseman of the future. He'll be back next year. My guess is that Hernandez is gone. He probably wasn't a keeper in most leagues or most formats, even in, in Auto New, where you might have him for a buck and he's been pretty valuable this year. I still think he probably wasn't a keeper, but I think this locks that up. I think he's going to, you know, we'll see where he lands, but I think he's he's gone from Chicago is my guess. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you are in like an odd new format and you do have him cheap, I'd be curious to just see where he ends up. Yeah. But I, I would agree. I, I don't think he's there long term in, in, in Chicago. And, you know, the more I look at it, maybe you bring up the LaRusa aspect. Maybe he does end up batting second the rest of the season because we know that Luis Robert has strikeout issues. So, I, you know, I 
I think there's a better chance than I thought five minutes ago that Hernandez sticks in the two hole. And if he does, he's a nice player to have for the rest of the season. Yeah. In the meantime, the return to Cleveland, Connor Pilkington, not that interesting, had a 40 future value grade from fan graphs earlier this year. He's 23. He's in double A. He's pitching fine in double A, but not particularly well. I suspect he's he's sort of a non-factor. He's certainly not someone I'd be looking at from a fantasy perspective right now. But the more interesting side from Cleveland is they now need a starting second baseman and their triple A team has Owen Miller, who got a cup of coffee earlier this year, Andres Jimenez, who we've seen with both the Mets and Cleveland the last year and a half, and Gabriel Arias, who is part of the Mike Clevenger trade and has been is another interesting middle infield bat. Any of those guys that you're keeping an eye on? Yes, I just added Andres Jimenez in, a, in one of my deeper leagues, just holding out hope. I had a lot of hope for him at the beginning of the year. And I, and I don't mean to, this is not an indictment on his long-term value. I just mean this year, but he's, he's had a rough July. Well, really uninspiring July. He's at 243, the OPS at exactly 700 with one home run and two stolen bases. So from a five by five perspective, the hope is like he gets up, he hits for a decent average and steals you bases, but he's not doing either of those things right now at AAA. So long-term, I still like him and has a lot. Um, and I'm sure the Indians do as well, but I am not really that interested in the short term. When he first got sent back down, so he got sent down in late May. May 21st was his first game back in AAA. And through the end of June, he had a 121 WRC plus, 365 Woba. He was hitting the ball really, really well. He went through a stretch from June 13th to June 19th, where he hit a home run in six straight games. Then on the 20th, he didn't hit a home run, didn't play on the 21st, and then the 22nd hit another. So he went through this really hot stretch in, in sort of mid to late June and, and has cooled off quite a bit since then. But yeah, I I, th- I would think he's the next up, but they, they really like Owen Miller. So I'm sort of intrigued to see who they end up bringing up and who gets the first shot at this. I also don't know that Cleveland is done trading middle infielders. <laughs> I'm not sure that Ahmed Rosario will still be in Cleveland by the time we get to the weekend. And so there may be room for both of those guys with Arias then taking over shortstop and AAA and, and getting some more work there. But it's... It remains to be seen. I, I think whoever they call up is worth at least keeping an eye on. In 5x5, five five, if it's Jimenez, I would be picking him up. In auto new leagues, I, I might grab Jimenez as an end-of-the-bench kind of guy just to see what he does. But other than that, I don't think any of these guys are, are super interesting yet. They're, they're more of a – they should be on your watch list because if they start producing, they could get interesting fast. Yeah, and you know what? I should have – I should have dug deeper into those July numbers. I think it is Jimenez that's going to get the call because he he started the month of July 0 for 12, but since then he's 9 for 25 with a homer, two steals, and that's just over seven games. So based on just that, I I, I think he's going to I think he's the one that's going to get called. But tread carefully for the rest of the season. Yeah. So let's go now to three little bit smaller deals. This I guess the last one was pretty small too, but. Brad Hand traded out of the nation's capital to a different nation entirely. He is now with Toronto, got sent to the Blue Jays for catching prospect Riley Adams. The big story here from a fantasy perspective is probably a short-term question about the closer situations in both Toronto and D.C. I'm not sure there's any keeper 
impact here at all, though, since those jobs were sort of up in the air anyways. The only one that could get interesting to me is if Tanner Rainey locks down the job in Washington. I believe he's just coming off the IL today, and that was with Daniel Hudson, who's probably going to get traded heading to the COVID IL. So that, that kind of timed up well. I know Brandon Finnegan is a threat there as well. I, I've read a few people on Twitter thinking he's actually going to get the job. But Tanner Rainey is a guy who had a strikeout rate over 40% last year. Now, granted, that was over that was just over like 20 innings. It was like 20 and a third innings or something like yeah. that. But if Rainey is the closer for the Nationals for the next, you know, season and a half, two and a half seasons, I could actually see some value there. I think he's got real strikeout upside and um, I'd be interested. I think the problem with Rainey is he's just been so bad. I, I mean, his his numbers on the season. They're not good. They're not good. And like, if you, you try to start to look like, well, maybe he started to turn around before he got hurt. And it's like, well, his month of June, which was his last 11 and a third innings before he got hurt, he had a 5.63 or 5.63 FIP, which is an improvement over the rest of his season, which is a little concerning. Even if you try to cut it down to like, his last four innings, his last four and a third innings, he managed a 4.31 FIP. Again, an improvement, but now you're talking about four innings. I, I don't know. I mean, look, in a five-by-five five league, if he's the closer, he's the closer, and he's going to get rostered in your league. I don't think he's going to be the closer anytime soon, though. I think he's going to have to come back and prove himself. I do think you're right that, like, if he comes back and it turns out he's been he was hurt all year and he's finally healthy and he starts churning in the strikeouts like he did before, give it a few weeks, he could take that role and he could run with it. But man, it's been ugly so far this year. Yeah, it hasn't been pretty. I mean, but that's the thing with closers is like on one hand, I get excited about a, about a 40% strikeout rate over 20 innings, but then you look at the 20 innings he's had this year and Obviously, it's gone. It's gone pretty poorly. It's just with closers and and potential roles. I look at tools, and I think like, okay, ERA aside, because of this tiny sample, like, does this player have the tools? And Rainey throws gas, and and he has some swing and miss to his game. So those types of guys, like Matt Barnes, he's had his good seasons as a reliever. And he's definitely had his bad seasons as a reliever. But if you've been rostering him this year because he's had the job, you've had a great closer this season. And so if Matt Barnes could do it, I don't, I don't see any reason why Tanner Rainey can't. Yeah. Yep. Makes sense. In Toronto, I think this is an interesting one because Brad Hand is a capital C closer and has been for a while. And so he strikes you as the kind of guy who he gets traded to take the job. He's not as good as Jordan Romano. Jordan Romano is a better pitcher than Brad Hand. So I'm very intrigued to see what happens. I actually thought Romano was an interesting guy from a keeper perspective because Kirby Yates is a free agent after this year. So they brought him in. He was supposed to be their closer this year. Now he's been hurt. He's not going to pitch. And so I sort of thought Romano had a shot to run away with this job. He's been good. He's got a 2.29 ERA. He's striking out nearly 11 per nine. His 3.27 FIP isn't quite as good as ZRA, but it's it's still good. But now, I, I don't know if Hand's going to come in and take the job. But, I mean, Hand on the surface, his 3.59 ERA is already not very good for a reliever. His 4.33 FIP is worse. This year, his strikeout rate of 23.1% is his worst since he became a reliever, and by a lot. 
the next worst was 30.5%. His 9.9% walk rate is tied for his worst since he became a reliever. His home runs per nine is the highest since he became a reliever. Like everything is trending the wrong direction for hand. The results are not good. Out of 162 relievers who have thrown, I think it's about 30 innings that you need to qualify or whatever for the RA title of a, as a reliever. For 162 relievers who have met that threshold, there are only 40 who have an FIP worse than hand. Like he has not been good this year. And so I really don't know what to expect Toronto to do. I, I, I feel like you trade for him to be your closer, but he shouldn't be, I don't think. Uh, I mean, Brad Hand has not, he's not been the hot hand to put it, to, to add a little pun in there. But I don't think it's a coincidence that this month in July, Jordan Romano has a 7.94 ERA and a 1.76 whip. And then they go out and trade for a, a team's closer who's been established for years. So maybe I agree that Romano should be and Hand will be. But I definitely agree with the second part that that Hand will be the closer. Uh, in ter- For what it's worth, Fangrass roster resource, which I go to all the time, and they usually get these things right. They haven't decided. <laughs> they, they've got the they CL both. next to next to both Hand and yeah. Romano. So, so we'll see. And maybe it's a righty-lefty thing, right? You've got a right-hander in Romano and a left-hander in Hand, and maybe you just play matchups. And, and, and to be honest, maybe that's actually the right answer, right? Maybe the right answer is to, to figure out who has the better matchup day-to-day and use them both where it makes the most sense. Mm. Um, from, a, from a fantasy perspective, though, I think this is a big hit to Romano, who to me had long-term closer potential but not going to happen. And and I think this also suggests that even after they move on from hand, they are unlikely. They brought in Yates because they didn't want to give the job to anyone internally. They're now bringing in hand because they weren't comfortable, it seems, with anyone internal. It suggests that in the offseason, they're going to bring someone in again. And so even if Romano holds the job here or holds half the job here and seems like the guy by the time you hit, you know, December and January, I think there's an awfully good chance that by March, he won't be the guy. Uh, this is a team that has World Series aspirations in the near future. And I think that there's a good chance they go out and get a a closer. Certainly could be the case. Tim Meza, though, just to, I mean, I would agree with you in, in almost any closing situation, it should be based on matchups and, and you've got the lefty hand and the righty Romano, but Tim Mays has been one of their best relievers this year. The ERA is up around four, but the, the, the FIP is at 2.87 and he is a lefty. So uh, does that mean that hand can just have the, the ninth inning and they can, I, I, I don't know, but I, I would agree that hand long-term, I don't have a lot of interest in the short term. I do think he's going to be the closer. Yeah. Makes sense. Let's jump to the next deal. Milwaukee picking up Eduardo Escobar from Arizona. They traded a guy named Cooper Hummel and a guy named Alberto Ciprian. We can talk a little bit about the prospects, but I think the big thing for me is, you know, there's a possibility. There's a lot, a lot of talk of Escobar to Chicago where he'd be with the White Sox, where I think his value would have gone up pretty meaningfully. This feels like a much worse landing spot for him from a fantasy perspective. It does. They they like to to mix and match, and you know you look at the underlying numbers for Escobar. They really aren't that great. It's just he, he hits wherever he goes. So, like if he's available in your leagues and you need a a, a middle infielder, I, I would definitely actually take a look at Escobar. He's an all star this year for whatever the heck that is worth. OPS is almost at eight hundred. He's he's unexciting. I think we know who he is, and I don't know if I would view Escobar differently 
no matter where he was, if that is fair. Yeah, the big thing for me in terms of his value here is, is he a platoon bat now? Like purely a platoon bat, because he's he's a switch hitter, which should protect him from that. But I don't know where he plays in Milwaukee every day. And and Rowdy Tellez has been crushing for the Brewers lately, and he's a left-handed first baseman. So Escobar could make some sense at first base for the Brewers. He could make some sense. Like, he's not going to play second base for them, which is where he he played a while ago. But he's not going to play second base for them, given how well Wong has been doing. I don't think they're looking to to put him in place of Luis Urias, who is who is finally starting to really produce for them. They've got Tellez at first, so he could share time with Tellez. Hiera is supposed to be playing some at first base too, though. So I don't know. It feels a little bit to me like they got Escobar to be bench depth. Uh, that could be the case. I think with a lot of those names, you could make the case that Escobar's better. I mean, I, the guy who could it could surprisingly impact maybe depending on how flexible they are with with where they put guys is Jackie Bradley Jr. who's just been horrible. Escobar has some experience in the outfield, although he hasn't played there since 2017. I don't know if it would be him that would move, but if you can get somebody in that infield out to the outfield, I mean, Jackie Bradley Jr. is down in like Cody Bellinger territory in terms of batting average. He's been a disaster for them. And with Lorenzo, K- I know Yelich has hit the, hit the I, I, it's COVID IL, um, but Lorenzo yeah. Kane is back. Kane's been back for a couple games now in center field and he's playing well. He's got, he's got like three hits or something like that in two games. So he could be the one that ends up losing playing time because of this move. I don't know how it would shake out, you know, in terms of who fits where, but if you're looking at a hole in that lineup, but other than the pitcher, it's, it's Bradley. I guess, I guess that would make some sense. I think from a long-term perspective, the guy who this hurts more than anyone for me is it continues to devalue Keston Hira. Yes. Cause this is going to take plate appearances away from him for sure. And man, they just, they just keep signaling that they don't believe in him. Exactly. And so I don't think I do either. Looking at the other side of this trade right now in Arizona, uh, the two guys they picked up, one of them is an 18-year-old playing in the summer league. That's Alberto Ciprian. He is not a top prospect, so there's not a lot to talk about there, even though he's playing pretty well. The other is Cooper Hummel, who is in AAA and hitting very well, but he's 26 and (laughs) hitting very well in AAA. Again, not really a sort of a, a major prospect. And so... I don't think this changes anything or does anything for his value or changing him, except that maybe at some point they call him up and see what he can do. And maybe he lights the world on fire for a short period of time or something, but nothing that interesting there. And because of what the the Diamondbacks are doing with their roster, I think this opens up playing time for his Drupal Cabrera or something like that, which just isn't that exciting. There's not, it, this doesn't open up for some like <laughs> prospect from a keeper league perspective. This doesn't open up for, yes. you know, some prospect to get it to cup of coffee. It just, it doesn't do anything in Arizona. I was, I was wondering where you were going with that. You're like, it opens up time for a Drupal Cabrera. I was like, it's, does that excite you? But then you, you drop you know, the hammer look, as, as a Cleveland fan. I love his Drupal Cabrera. He is, he was one of my favorites when he was with Cleveland. He's, he is a much better player than I think most people realize He's not a guy that you're going out and grabbing in keeper leagues to try to (laughs) shift this year to keep for the future. He just sort of is what he is. He's a really good major league player without a lot of fantasy value. Three, three quick things to related to the Diamondbacks. If I'll start off with the first one, Uh, just in terms of Cooper Hummel, if if a guy gets called up who is at AAA has an OPS of 942, 
I, I'm going to take a flyer on him in my deeper leagues. I don't know if that yeah. means he has keeper value, but you know, th- that 942 OPS definitely sticks out. Number two, if, if you've picked up Dalton Varsho, oh man, ride that out. I think that's, that's awesome. He has been tearing it up. I don't know if you've been seeing what Dalton Varsho is doing. He's got like five home runs yeah. in like eight games or something like that. He has been, it's just beautiful to see, that beginning to take shape because nothing was looking good for him earlier and he's catching he's gonna he's gonna still have that catcher eligibility and chad i just had to bring this up because this is getting ridiculous my third and final thing here joey Votto homered again yeah i just saw that he just he just homered again what is how ha- he's up to 279 probably gonna be up over 280 by the end of the game and that's his 20th home run yeah I, you know i'm a look at I, I've always been a Votto fan. I don't know. How I, I don't understand anybody who's not a Votto fan because he's just he's a fun guy to watch play. He's such a good hitter. Uh, I was high on him coming into this year. And so I've got him in a couple places. This is not when, when I was high on him. It wasn't like maybe he'll go out and hit 35 home runs. It was like, I think he could have a solid bounce back year for right. a guy who's should be retiring soon. Um, but man, he is just tearing it up and it's it's fun to see. And I think of the guy you mentioned before, I'm on Varsho. Varsho is a guy who in my keeper leagues, I'm keeping a close eye on. I probably would pick him up if only because he's hitting well enough that when Carson Kelly comes back, there is a very real chance that the Diamondbacks decide that Varsho is part of their future in the outfield. Right. And his value as a catcher eligible guy playing every day in the outfield next year huge. is huge. And I think that there's he's a good enough catcher that I don't think it's out of the question that he does something like becomes their everyday center fielder and part of their backup catcher position. That occasionally they say, okay, we're going to give this other guy some playing time in the outfield and let Varsho catch today. We'll have to see. I, I would love to see a team do something like, say, we only have to carry one catcher. Like it would be, I don't know if they would do this. They probably won't. But I would love to see Arizona say, we are carrying Carson Kelly. We are not carrying another catcher. Our starting left fielder, center fielder, whatever he ends up being, is Varsho, and he is also going to catch once a week. And I yeah, like I mean, free up a roster spot to not have someone you don't really need. I don't think they'll actually do that, but I do think there's a chance that he could be an everyday outfielder who continues to play enough catcher to get long-term eligibility there. So I'm, I'm keeping a real close eye on him for sure. And I don't think they'd want him to lose that skill. Right. I mean, maybe if he's playing an effective center field and he looks great out there, then they're like, no, this is fine. We'll take a great center fielder. But if he's in left field, I would want him to lose that catcher skill. Yeah. I would want him to, to back that up. I think that's a great, great call. So last trade we have to talk about here, Houston and Miami making a deal. Yimi Garcia headed from the Marlins to the Astros, Miami getting Austin Pruitt and Brian De La Cruz back in the return. Let's start with the closer situations as we always need to. Yimi Garcia is a cut, right? I mean, it, in a five by five league, he's he's not taking over that job there. He's now probably I worry about him from a holds perspective because he's behind Presley. He's probably behind Graveman, and so his job is a lot less interesting than it was before, at least to me. Oh, it is. Yeah, no interest. It's great for the Astros, but from a fantasy yeah. perspective, he's the very droppable. Who, who's your guy in Miami then? I, I hope it's Bender. Overall, had a pretty effective season. The the FIP at two point seven four sort of backs up the success he's had. The expected ERA, everything else looks in line, generating a fair amount of ground balls. 
I'd like to see it be him. He's he's got the skills I look for, right? Like he's striking out over eleven guys per nine. So I I hope it's him. Yeah, I do too. However, it seems like Dylan Floro is going to get the job based on what I'm reading. And I, it sort of surprises me, but you know, there, there's some speculation that it could be a arbitration value thing with Bender. I keep his price down a little bit. Floro's been good this year, heavily off of home run suppression, but he has a nearly, he has a 47.5% ground ball rate this year. It's been over 50% every year before this year. So he keeps the ball on the ground. He He's actually walking more guys than ever before this year, but usually he, he doesn't walk too many guys. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe he gets the job. I, I think this is a case where short term, just take whoever it is. Bender is the only one of the two with real keeper value to me. If he takes the job and runs away with it, he could be the closer next year. I don't think Floro is going to take and hold this job long term. Yeah, I, I don't either. But to be fair to Floro, you know, you, you bring up the home runs. Over his last 65 and a third innings pitch, that, that goes into 2020, he's given up one home run. And he has not given up any home runs this season. So I understand giving the job to him. I, if it is a, you know, arbitration situation you know suppress benders value or whatever then that's that's devious but i also think they have a compelling case to put floral in yeah it'll be very interesting to see what happens on the other side of this the guy's coming back to miami uh, unless you want to tell me otherwise austin pruitt is sort of just a guy i'm not super interested in him do you, do you want to argue with that <laughs> absolutely not all right let's talk quickly about brian de la cruz because de la cruz is 24 he is in AAA. He had a very good season in high A in 2019, and then was okay in double A, and then obviously we didn't see him at all last year. And now he's got a 371 WOBA, 112 WRC plus in AAA. He also, I believe, is hitting the point where he's going to be Rule 5 eligible this offseason. I think the Marlins are going to give him a shot at some point just to see what they have in him before they make a 40-man decision, before they have to make a 40-man decision on him. You, you would think so, the way he's tearing it up this year in the minor leagues. And obviously, they just traded away Starling Marte. So there's going to be an opening. Not that De La Cruz is going to go to center field, but you know, outfield prospects for Miami have not really worked out lately. So I wouldn't be surprised uh, if he gets a call. Yeah, they need to see what they've got. I mean, they, they've had some real issues. And I, I think if he gets... He's not a guy I'm picking up now, even in auto new leagues. He's not a guy that I'm like in a stash. But if he gets a call, I would watch what he does because he could be the kind of guy who earns himself some regular playing time. Probably more interesting as a short-term pickup if he gets called up because you need some help than he is as a guy that you're planning on keeping long-term. But who knows? If he comes up and crushes for a month, maybe he earns himself a regular job. We'll have to see. Yeah, I kind of view him as like a slightly more exciting Cooper Hummel if he gets the ball. <laughs> yeah, I think that sounds about right. So we are through all the trades that have actually happened. There are all sorts of rumors still out there. Uh, Rizzo and Bryant are both out of the lineup for the Cubs today. So, you know, that always leads to speculation. They're still expecting Scherzer to get traded. Um, there was a rumor that I just heard or saw that Kyle Schwarber is potentially on the block, which would be very interesting. So we'll have to see. We'll have to see what else comes of it. 
But yeah, that's about all we've got for right now. We're going to try to get this up and out to you guys today so you can listen to this, react to this, and make some decisions about what you're doing in some of your leagues, especially around closers. Lots of closers moving around. So with that, thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, leave ratings and reviews. You can follow us on Twitter at Keep or Cut. That's cut with a K. You can follow Pete at Pete B Baseball. Pete B Baseball. You got to get that right. You can follow me at Chad Young. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back with you soon. Bye.